Season 2 podcast fans. It's Danny here, and I love the fact that I get to come on here and share stories with you guys. Today, I actually have a guest who is here to share his story and speak on some pretty tough topics. So I do want to add a trigger warning. There's going to be a lot of discussion about the topics that you know, we kind of started with in the beginning of this whole podcast, domestic violence, um, potentially sexual assault, potentially death, just things that are very sensitive. So if that's something that you don't want to hear, totally understand, um, check out the next episode. But I do want to say, I really hope that you do stick around because I think that this story is so important and this person is so brave for coming forward. So with that being said, I would love to introduce my guest, Darian. Hi, Darian. How are you today? Great. How are you guys? Doing great. Doing great. So I'm really excited because you had found my podcast through somebody that you know. Uh, just another day scrolling on Instagram and I seen that a couple of people that I went to school with were on your podcast and kind of just let my thumb do some exploring and I found myself on your page and then found myself messaging you. Yeah, yeah, which I, again, I'm so grateful for. Yeah, yeah. So actually, we are here to kind of share your story. What was it that really compelled you to want to tell your story like this? Well, there's two big things for me and the main thing was, so I'm just going to dive right into it. Sexual assault happens a lot more than people expect it to and to people that you wouldn't expect it to happen to and uh, a lot of those people are men and I feel like society puts a different expectation on men than they do for women which is fair but at the same time we don't have a lot of the resources that women do and that's part of why I'm here. Yeah. Now you bring up a fantastic point. And, and that's true. A lot of like shelters that are available, they're women specific, the demographic that this is catering to. I think it's really important that, you know, we're able to have more resources for everybody. Everybody should feel safe to be able to go to a shelter and not be turned away because of your gender or how you identify or anything like that. Like, it's unfortunate that that's kind of where we are in society. So I definitely agree with you that there is a different standard and it's just not something that men are talking about. I can definitely say that I have come in contact with males who they have like sexual assault and, and horrible things in their past and they're not as comfortable disclosing this stuff. And a lot of the times it's kind of brought up in like a roundabout way, kind of like inferring that this is what happened, but not outright saying it. And a lot of the time I feel like it's out of fear for judgment. Is that how you feel about it? Absolutely. Um, my, I was actually just talking about it with my wife today and it boils down down to pride and ego and I'm I'm guilty of it myself I have a, a big ego and I have a lot of pride and I want to be the best I want to be that guy that people come and ask for bike advice or the, anything along like that kind of stuff but at the end of the day I mean it's I don't even know how to explain it honestly but it's hard to meet the expectations that people put on you as a man especially when things that don't happen to most people happen to you and you, you want to still be filling that expectation that society puts on you. Yeah, definitely. There's, there is a large expectation for men to be like seen and not heard almost talking to my significant other about this recently. And he kind of, we have a dark sense of humor over here. So he was kind of just joking around about, yeah, I'm here. I'm here to 
support people. I'm not here to bitch is what he said. And and it sucks because yeah, somebody gave him like that impression that it's like, if a man says something, you're bitching about it. And then it's somehow in such a misogynistic, like derogatory way, it compares you to females. I do just want to kind of go over a little bit. I know you just mentioned that you would like to be the guy who gives bike advice. So, so who is Darian today? My daily routine honestly looks like waking up in the morning, riding my motorcycle to my, my work where I work on motorcycles all day and uh usually ride my bike home after that eat supper have a shower ride my bike some more or play some video games with a couple of friends i met from the states and go to bed after watching some tv with the wife and taking the dogs for a walk and i'm a pretty simple man honestly if i'm not doing that i'm either helping my friends with their bikes like yesterday i changed my buddy's sprocket and chains and i mean i'm on my grandma's lawn every now and then that's so nice of you yeah she's awesome that's that's so wholesome like i i love that that's kind of where you are today i mean i know that you and i had talked a lot about your story prior to this and just kind of knowing what you've been through and the life that you have today is is truly amazing. So I have to ask, does your wife ride motorcycles too? She's she's a really good backpack, but she does not ride her own. Got it, got it. <laughs> but it's cool that you can kind of share that that hobby with, with the person that you love the most, which is pretty cool. Now that we know who you are today, we're going to kind of reel it back a little bit. What, what was your childhood like? Like, what are some of your earliest memories that you can remember or some some really positive things that maybe you remember about your childhood well my older cousin four he's three or four years older than me and i never had any elder siblings so he was kind of the guy that filled the big brother role for me my most most of my life and uh my favorite memories are honestly chasing him around the block on my bike while he was on his bike which was obviously way bigger and faster but uh riding bikes around the neighborhood with him always knowing that i could count on the guy and uh he actually was kind of the main reason that I got into bikes and cars in the first place. That's awesome. And then for your cousin to have been so close to you, I love that. So are you and your cousin today still pretty close? Yeah, actually, he lives like five minutes down the street from me. No way. That's yeah. so cool. Uh, well, shout out. I know that there's so much darkness. And and we, I really love the fact that you can still have such positive, really impactful memories. And so during this time, what was what was your life like at home? Like, what was your relationship like with your parents? It's kind of hard to say parents, honestly. But my mother was, uh, she had me fairly young. I was with her for the first two years of my life, three years of my life. And then she moved about an hour away and started going to school for, I think it was accounting or something like that. But I lived with, my great grandma whose lawn I just mowed a couple days ago, who also lives right between my cousin and I's house. So on the way over to his house, I can stop at grandma's and say hi. But uh, I lived with her until I was, oh, I think until the end of grade two. So about eight, seven or eight years old. And day-to-day life was pretty simple. Go to school, come home for lunch, go back, ride bikes with the guys around the block or play cops and robbers or army and repeat the process. So during this time, I know that you said that you really just had your mom and did you did you have a relationship with your dad during this point or was he around uh he wasn't really around I think he was shift working or something like that but they they split up around the time I was a year old or so and their relationship was never the best so kind of more lean towards my mom because he wasn't around in the first place no I get it and and that's Again, those family dynamics, everybody's family is different. There's, I I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. Today, I love that we can actually look at that and say that this family 
is this way and this family is this way. And we don't have to look at those kids as different. Did you ever feel, because I know our generation when we were young, the the view of that was so different. Did you, as a, as a kid, just remember at all being like judged or feeling judged because your family may have been a little different? Oh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> it does not matter looking back on it. But when I was in uh, middle school, that was, that was around the time I kind of started making legitimate friends because I knew I was going to stay around that place for a while. I went from Medicine Hat to Calgary to Edson, which is about total 800 and some kilometers difference apart. Um, but once I moved to Edson was when I started grade five and then into middle school. So grade six, grade seven, grade eight. Um, I think that was the hardest time, honestly, was because I was trying to establish who I was and trying to figure out what kind of friends I wanted, what people I wanted to actually be around rather than putting on somewhat of a mask and just... I was that Play-Doh kid. I would conform to whatever expectation or form everyone else was fitting. And I'd just do my absolute best to fit in, even if it wasn't my my jive or my jam. Or like, I went from city slicker kid to country kid to that dirt bike kid to like army cadets and I just never figured out what I wanted to be until I found motorcycles and I was like okay yes this is my thing yeah definitely and and do you feel like what you were going through during these moments do you feel like that had kind of an impact on on maybe people pleasing or becoming what people wanted you to be oh absolutely I still catch myself being a people pleaser to this day and to loop back to things that people said when I was in school was I remember kids calling me poor kid because I had dandruff which made no sense to me and uh, it just it really bugged me and it kind of was one of those things that stuck like even now I want to look good when I'm out in public or when I'm at work or when I'm riding my bike because I don't want people to say oh look that guy's broke he's poor I just want to be normal I guess. Yeah. You want to be seen for you, not for this, I don't know, stereotypical things. And when you think about those times, you know, when you're being your most judged, right? And and it sucks because as a kid, or especially back then, no one is thinking, what is going on in this person's life? Am I going to be the straw that breaks the camel's back? I'm going to pick on this person because they have one trait that I feel is negative, but there's no thought to what is he going through? Like what is going on at home? Yep. And that's really unfortunate because, and and it was, it was during this time, wasn't it? That really was maybe, I don't want to say the height of what you were going through, but it was definitely like around the same time, right? It, yeah. Yeah. It was, it was around the height of it, I would say. Cause uh, yeah. Cause I would, I would go down to medicine hat every second weekend or every weekend. That, that was actually, yeah, that was the height of when my abuse was the worst because it was uh it was a kid that lived across the street from my great grandma's and it was weird every time that I went down there he knew that I was there and he could like manipulate me and I think he knew how to manipulate my family as well because he would message me on messenger and say hey you want to hang out come over let's let's play a game and I'm like no I'm I'm okay and then he'd come to the door and be like can I hang out with Darian can Darian come out and hang out and I'd make a fuss about it but they'd do the, the typical parent thing you know oh just go hang out go play go have fun and it's like no i'm not i'm not having fun but oh okay i'll just do as i'm told yeah wow you know what that's kind of like scary in a way and 
And I say that as a parent because, and, and I hope that the rise of social media and sharing stories like this is helpful to, to teach people, especially the upcoming generation, that is a red flag. When your child doesn't want to go hang out with somebody and then forcing them to, I guess at some point somebody could have said like, hey, like, why do you not want to? Do you feel like if somebody had asked you why during that time that you would have explained why? Oh, I would have, I think, honestly, I think I would have spilled the beans, but but that's that's the 26 year old Darian talking, and I think 12 year old, 10 year old Darian would have been a completely different story. Um, I knew this guy since well, since I lived at my great grandma's house. So since I was about a year or so old, two years old, three years old, yeah, well, since I could ride a pedal bike, let's say, so about three or four years old, I've known this kid. Well, not kid, but guy. He's I think he's seven or eight years older than I am right now, and I didn't realize that. I was being groomed till about the time I was 18, 19. And it's, it's kind of hard to talk about it, honestly. It's a little embarrassing because yeah. yet again, the the expectations that society puts on males is really troubling to to meet, especially when you're coming from this point of view. Um, but but uh, yeah, he that guy groomed me since, since the second he could actually even think about it. And it was really hard to to get away from that guy. Yeah, no, definitely. And, and it's okay. You can take your time you can say what you want you can say what you like or you can not say things like it's okay there's no right or wrong answer here it's the floor is yours but I mean when you're talking about grooming right grooming I think people don't recognize the red flags of grooming and I think it's becoming more and more recognized of what was going on you know I know so many people even like our age or, or even a little bit older who maybe just realized like as of recently like oh shit like I had no idea that was what grooming was like right and and usually which um kind of speaking to grooming itself i feel like most people when they do think of grooming they do think of sexual assault or sexual abuse which is absolutely valid i think it's also important to note that grooming can happen in other spaces i think that it's important that parents out there know like it's not just somebody like in person like on the internet that's a conversation of just meeting somebody it takes somebody eight minutes to groom a child and that's so like that's sad but I think what you're doing and how you're speaking about it is really important because we're hopefully getting that point across. Pay attention to these things because it's kind of like it's kind of like somebody speaking to you without using words because yeah. manipulators, right? They're very cunning. They know what to say. They know when to say things. They know when to like tell you to keep secrets and how to word that, but they're not going to do it in front of your parents. Exactly. And are there any like red flags, like looking back at that you're kind of like, man, I really wish this was more blatantly obvious to my mom or to my grandma or to who, whichever adults were around. Yeah. You know, I, I often try to think about what, what would have made it more obvious, like coming from a, a, a kid's point of view of how to say, Hey, I need help instead of doing what I did. For example, like I, I acted out a lot. I would just do like petty shit. I'd go steal out of a candy store or I'd get in trouble at school and I'd make up little white lies to cover it up. Like I'd say that my 
homework went, went missing because I got beat up. But really, there was a note in my agenda. And I didn't want my mom to see it out of fear of being told that I was bad or just like small little things that wouldn't make any sense. But uh, yeah. a, the biggest thing for me was I feel like uh, coming, at, coming at it from an adult point of view with siblings that are under 12 years old. If I was to send my siblings to go hang out with somebody and they were like visually hesitant, like looking around or kind of like, uh okay I'd, I'd ask a couple questions be like hey is there is there something going on or like why don't you want to go there I can, I can kind of tell that you're not really up to it what's what's up but my family always kind of shrugged it off and was like oh you'll be fine just do it just suck it up yeah wow yeah no you're totally right and with visual cues or acting out and yeah that that really makes a lot of sense because how else can you express your emotions especially when you know maybe it's not something that is as discussed. I mean, are, do you remember as a as a kid ever being like taught different like types of like red flags or and maybe they wouldn't have been called red flags back then, but maybe some sort of like stranger danger things or anything like that? Not not really, honestly. Like the typical if somebody asks you to come look for their dog, don't get in their car, but never anything of serious nature, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're not wrong. I mean, I, I have to agree with you. It was very similar in our home. It was um, just kidnapping was, I think, the biggest concern. I don't yeah. even, I think, you know, what's interesting is that as a young girl, I was taught that if you're in trouble, like if somebody's trying to harm you, don't yell rape, yell fire. Fire, yeah. Like the fact that that, that was not taken seriously by adults so much that they had to tell us to yell fire if we were actually being approached inappropriately by an adult or even by somebody older. That's sad. Right. And and even do you have any like a recollection of of even in school? Um, I don't know how it is over there, but I know for us, you know, towards the end of like fifth grade, going into like middle school, so like sixth through eighth grade, so when they really start to have sex ed, and and for us, they didn't really touch upon on any sort of like things it was more of like again the, the kidnapping aspect yeah yeah it's it was more or less the same here like we learned the science of how everything worked but we never were taught like this is okay this is not okay which i feel like should really be taught in schools not just the the, the math of it more or less one thousand percent yeah i say that all the time like i feel like if one of my biggest goals could ever be accomplished it would be to be able to speak in schools because I can only speak again statistically for the United States, but domestic violence starts at as young as 11 years old. That is a like an abusive partnership, a, abusive boyfriend or girlfriend. But you could even go a, a length further. Like there's abusive friendships and yep. those <clears throat> can become very predatory very fast because and you can you can choose not to answer this question or not. But did you consider your abuser just a friend, somebody that I, you I did? Yes, like, I did with? for quite a while. Actually, I, I kind of looked up to the guy, which is, I think, why it began began in the first place he was he was and is in the military and uh you know he on the outside he's a really cool guy he's like textbook what you want to be but behind closed doors he's a fucking monster and you know it it, it kind of hurts me to say that 
out loud because it's he's not one of those people that you would expect to be that kind of person and i feel as i should i feel violated for not defending myself or for letting it happen in the first place yeah and you know what there's that's so much more common than i think people realize is that and and maybe it's just because i listen to a lot of true crime but it's it's so like scary almost when somebody that you've seen in the community as somebody who was maybe active with um with children or with helping the elderly or or they're just really like you had said somebody that you kind of look up to somebody who you would never think and then all of a sudden it's like i mean and at least in, in these other stories it comes out that like this person was actually like really sinister behind closed doors i mean even in this show that i i mentioned before it's called undercover underage and this lady rue powell she started this organization where like she takes adults or even herself and they dress up like minors to try to catch predators online and it's really fucked up but some of these people are like in law enforcement or they are camp counselors for children. They are yep. in these, or even I think one of them was a social worker. Honestly, I fully condone those kinds of shows. Like catch all of them and throw the book at them. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Because it's so, it's unfortunate how common it is that I think almost every friend or a person that I had had as a, a friend and, and maybe lost contact with. And maybe it's just because I attract like dark people and like traumatized, messed up people. But it's so common that they've either been like sexually abused by a family member or they were sexually abused by somebody that they knew in the community or they were groomed by an older like person who proclaimed that they were a significant other. I mean, it's so like fucked up how common it is. And, and what's really fucked up too is I know somebody who was abused by a family member and then this person like the family pretty much just brushed under the rug like yeah. it was well we just don't talk about that that's the family secret like this and, and it just it breaks my heart because it doesn't matter how other people view the trauma that person will always be traumatized for the rest of their life and ignoring it only makes it worse right so does your does your family now do they know everything that has happened y yes and no um there's there's a few people in my family that know the the gist of it and a minor percentage of those few that know the gist of it know the bad dark details which more or less is just my my grandmother and my older cousin but even then i didn't tell them very much yeah yeah wow and and i know that you said that this this went on for quite a while and and that's like i don't want to say that that's okay i just want to let you know like it's there's nothing that you did wrong doesn't matter how long it went on there's so much that is behind manipulation do you feel like because of how long that you had experiences that makes it even harder to speak about it yes absolutely i uh um i feel like you're right about like I, I, how long it went on doesn't it's not that it's okay but i almost feel like i i am weak for not putting my foot down earlier or for not standing up for myself earlier and I feel like people will look at me and not judge me but like make fun of me almost for it as if like it's I'm, I'm so used to to be the ass end of a joke that talking about it I feel like people are gonna say oh you liked it or you wanted it this is that was what you wanted. You did it because you want like, and that's the part that makes it the hardest for me is fear of judgment. Yeah. I think that there is a lot of victim blaming that happens with people who are fucking ignorant. And anybody who does that is like actually 
bottom of the barrel stupid. Like that is the lowest form of intelligence that a person can have. And even if they don't think so, I think so. Because it, and for people to say that, or to even like the fact that you have that fear is valid because I'm sure somewhere along the line, you have seen that either happen to somebody else or heard about it or gosh, even in Hollywood on a fucking movie seeing that people don't understand. And that's where I feel like education is so important because somebody who is in an abusive relationship or who is being abused in any way, shape or form, there is a power dynamic, like a very strong power dynamic. This person has one made you feel fear of them, but there's also kind of this, like, it's hard to explain. At least I don't know how to explain it for, for anything that I've been through. There's a reason why we stay in these situations for so long or why we go back to it or why it's hard to say no, or why it's hard to leave because the level of manipulation is so, so rampant. And here's the thing too, that maybe this will put perspective a different way. And I'm going to kind of go back to the other topic where I'm talking about joining a cult because people will ask, well, how did you get dragged into that? Right? Nobody is above a cult. Nobody is above being manipulated. It's the fact that these people who are manipulating people, they find the right pain points. They find the right things to say because they get to know you and they absolutely find ways. They're like, okay, I know that this person likes to hear this and they use that against you. Absolutely. Just like my my grandma, uh, the poor girl, <laughs> she just got taken for, I think it was 3,000 American dollars. No way. On a cryptocurrency Yeah. The poor girl. That's devastating. Horrible. Absolutely horrible. And I was telling her the whole time too, I was like, something about this seems fishy. And this lady, I don't trust it. And now it's gone. But circling back to manipulation, actually, um, I feel like people who haven't either A, understood that they're being manipulated or have actually been manipulated. People that haven't been manipulated aren't going to understand it. And they're going to make fun of or they're going to judge people who have have been manipulated or groomed into a situation that they feel either trapped in or they are trapped in and in the respect of a, like like a cult or um, uh, like one of those pyramid schemes for buying like makeup or beauty products and stuff like you you spent so much money on it and now you're locked in but what, what are you going to do with it because now we got your money but you can't have it so you find yourself trapped which in the same aspect is how I felt I felt trapped because if I said something about it there were three options either option one i was going to get bullied by the kids i went to school with option two my parents weren't going to believe me and they were going to call me a twisted little like uh a twisted little sex addict kid or something like that or people are going to think that i'm not straight and that, that seriously bugged me which is so fucked up up that last one especially that last one kills me because it is such a reality especially for men i will never understand where this toxic masculinity got to this point the fact that as a man you can have all of this trauma but you have to hold on to it because there's some sort of negative connotation that they're using to blame you somehow and you then have this fear of like i can't talk about it now because people are going to have this view of me and like 
Yeah. I mean, especially, especially back in like the early 2000s. I know when I was in middle school, high school, like that was, you know, people were using the F slur. People were like, just if, if, if a guy even remotely has a slight, what was considered at that point, feminine interest, that person was gay. Like there's yep. no way. And then for some reason they're ostracized. And, and even if, right, even if somebody is gay, like that's totally fine. That's totally acceptable. Like sexual abuse does not equate to being gay or or it doesn't even equate to being mentally ill like you're still you but all of this happened and now you have to keep it to yourself purely because of that and the thing is is like sexual abusers they come in all shapes and sizes and forms i mean this person was still an, a minor right when you were a minor when all of this kind of began yep. and that that's common i feel like stereotypically we're, we still need to get out of this mindset that like it's just this old white man who is a predator that's how i was taught about it. serious like and, and, and just a quick disclaimer you guys we have already confirmed that both of us have a dark, fucked up sense of humor. So for laughing, it's not, it's how do we, how else do we cope with trauma? Laugh I'm, and be fucked up in the head. I mean, to be honest. So I'm, don't be offended. I'm picturing like, I'm picturing an old dude that's like 250 pounds with like a five o'clock shadow and a white, really thin skullet going on. And like, I mean, <laughs> that's how they painted it out to be though. Like, that's exactly it. Nobody was saying, hey, this type of behavior can start at a young age. I mean, a lot of it starts out like that sexual abuse. That's where the first step usually happens. And, and not to give rhyme or reason, not to give excuses. A lot of the times it happens because that's what they see at home. Right. And I feel like that's not something that is even talked about, about how if your child is coming and expressing something to you, right, about something that they saw at a friend's house or something that a kid said at school, it's like, nowadays, I feel like it's more common to tell our kids, like, they're probably going through a lot of shit at home. Like, there's probably some things going on behind closed doors that we don't know about. Yep. But I don't, I was never told that back in the day. It was always, oh, that kid's just being an asshole. Or like, oh, that's a bad person. Just stay away from them. But yep. in all reality, like what was causing that to happen? Right. Especially like you were saying before, you're acting out and, and like kind of going back and like looking at people and knowing a little bit about red flags now. There are definitely like kids as young as eight years old that I can recognize and look back <laughs> and be like, something happened to that kid. Because maybe at eight years old, they were talking about sex. Like, and sure, I know we're kind of, there was there's something different though about the kids who are talking about it in the way that they're talking about it or the way that maybe they might even be trying to act it out and yeah. i can think about kids that i knew who were like that and as an adult i'm like oh fuck like something really sinister was happening at home at that young of an age do you kind of Definitely. have kind of that same viewpoint when you think about maybe yeah. kids you knew yeah for sure there's a couple i can actually think about right now that you know I, I probably should have treated those kids a little bit better to be absolutely honest hindsight's always 2020 i mean we don't we really don't know though like and that's the thing we can kind of infer with what we know now now that you're an adult and and you kind of look at the way that, that you view the world how do you think that this has had an impact on you um it, it kind of made me hate people in general as a whole um but it's weird it's really weird it tipped the scale both ways for me drastically i'm, I'm not much of an in-between kind of person i either really like you or i really really fucking don't like you but at the same time there's some some people that I really, really do don't like, if that makes any sense. Like, yeah. I got this guy that I ride bikes with all the time. And, you know, he's deep down, I know he's a super, super outgoing, kind, loving guy, but he has to be the best. And I, 
I don't know if it's <clears throat> if it's my ego or if it's just my like if it's human nature or what, but it seems like no matter what I do, if I say something, he has something to say about it. If I do something, he has something to say about it. He always has to lead or he always has to be the best, but at the same time, so do I. And I feel like that that clashes a lot, but also at the same time, we're not actively in a competition with each other. I think what's going on is we're at, in a competition with ourselves up here and we project it onto the other guy because like I love the guy to pieces but there's some times where I just want to kick him off of his bike into the ditch <laughs> Oh, definitely. I, I, I know somebody like that too, where I feel like I love this person, but that that dominant know-it-all personality is just such a hard one to get used to, especially when you yourself have more of like a, I don't know, what do they call it? Type A, very dominant personality. I'm not sure if I am though either. Like I, I'm either- I mean, that's true. That's fair. I'm either at the front of the class and I'm the loudest person there, or I'm at the very back and I'm like kind of just watching and learning. It's There's no really in-between for me and I'm not sure who I am sometimes I think be absolutely honest I mean I had a therapist tell me one time people who have been through trauma especially some sort of like sexual abuse or abuse from from somebody in their life that's supposed to be a safe person it is not uncommon for people to lose themselves because during that time when your brain is developing when you're supposed to be learning all of these very core things that we're supposed to take with us for the rest of our lives you're hindered by that because something is going on, something is happening to you that is very confusing and it goes against everything that you're supposed to be taught. So, I mean, it totally makes sense. And honestly, I can relate too. And uh, I, I think <laughs> I think he helped me realize something right there actually is I think that being left alone at night while I lived in Calgary with my mom and her leaving me with my great grandma and all that stuff just happening to me, I feel like that makes me forever searching for approval from not just someone, but everyone, because I'm scared that people won't see me for my worth and they'll kick me to the side yet again. Yeah. I mean, that's a totally valid fear, especially when you have, and, and again, this is no shame to your family dynamic whatsoever, because again, I... I am like literally no contact with my mother, but it's that level of inconsistency in your life where you, cause especially when, when you're moving from school to school or, you know, you kind of, you're in this position where you have to make all new friends. You have to start getting to know people yep. and you kind of develop this habit. Like you had said that you were what you called the Play-Doh kid. You were everything for everybody else. You had to mold yourself to fit in, to feel validated. And that sticks with you, especially through adulthood. And, and it does kind of, I think you're right, feel like a constant searching of like, who actually am I? And it, it really is because at those young ages, that consistency is so important. And unfortunately, some of us didn't get that. Well, it's just like, uh, I, I know this is a quote from someone like, it's not Churchill or Sun Tzu, but it's someone like that. And they said they lost themselves trying to be the person that everyone else wanted them to be. Yeah, <laughs> I think I the quote, said it, but... don't lose yourself being the person others want you to be. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, and that's very profound. I mean, it's so true. And um, do you do you think now, when you were in high school and, and you were kind of nearing the end of it, um, was there any part of you that even at that point were like, I want to take control of my life? And, and then at what point did you decide, like, I am actually going to take control of my life? I didn't quite make that decision until... 
after high school. Um, in high school, I was kind of still just trying to fill a stereotype and fill an expectation. Um, but actually, the night of graduation, that all kind of went to shit. And that was where I started more or less breaking down the old me and trying to rebuild whoever I was going to turn into. Yeah. And that's, that's such a scary place to be because there's a lot of darkness and confusion. And and I feel like there's so much that goes into that, especially when you've kind of forced yourself to be somebody. And then it does. I mean, it's a facade. Every facade, I feel like, comes crumbling down at some point. Yep. Um, and, and you said after high school. So what... Like, what was it that kind of just kept you going? The things that always have kept me going the most is, honestly, I've kind of had this thought that I can't, I can't force my time and there's nothing that's going to make it come quicker. There's just, everyone's got a clock and it's going to run out somehow, some way. So I, I, I didn't really have terrible thoughts a lot of the time. I did I did try to make an attempt in grade 10 just because I I felt like I was at a, at an end I kind of just had enough of being told that you know I wasn't good enough and felt like every corner that I turned I just met ridicule and belittlement from everybody and anybody that I could find so I figured I mean what what was the point if I'm not wanted by anyone and I don't want myself. Why, why would I want to be here in the first place? And uh, obviously it was a mistake. And the second I did it, <laughs> I feel so bad. I scared the shit out of my teacher and my whole classroom. I bet you they have trauma themselves from my actions. And uh, it was it was a bit of a turning point that day, honestly, because I didn't exactly care how it ended up. But seeing the reactions from the people that I was around and the people that actually truly did care was a, a really hard reality check. And it made me feel pretty bad, selfish, honestly. But um, <clears throat> the things that kept me going the most is uh, the hope that life would be better somehow, some way. And the idea of like time heals everything. It really does. But it's not easy. And that in between time, it doesn't just fix itself like a light switch. You can't just twist a couple wires and be good to go or you can't just take a pill and be good to go like i i had a lot of things i had to work through to get to where i am today and it it was not easy i think but... the way that you put it is amazing i think that that's really that's actually so profound and so inspiring actually because i think that when we're in those dark moments especially when you're young right so to any anybody out there who maybe is a younger listener or somebody who genuinely feels like you're probably at your wits end with life it's so much i know it's easier said than done i really do and i and i have so much respect for for people and and pushing through what they're going through but i truly do believe that time and i agree with you that time will heal and 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 you don't have to feel alone forever there is a light at the end of the tunnel somewhere and i know especially in those young young years especially in the teenage years it just feels so much stronger all of this stuff it's like this is never going to end oh my gosh and then and then you kind of you're like almost turning 30 and then you look back and you're like, that went by so fast. Exactly. Like it's been six years since I was last abused. And it's it's mind blowing to me that I can actually say that. Sorry, ADHD moment. We're going to loop back to uh, the, the time fixes everything. And 
when I said that the in-between time isn't easy, it's it's not. But it doesn't have to be so fucking hard that it feels like an eternity, that it feels unbearable. That's where a lot of my favorite times in my life have happened. There was days where I felt like I had nothing going for me and I just didn't like who I was and where my life was at all. And <laughs> On a whim, I I packed up my truck and I went for a drive into the mountains and I watched a sunset. I went for a hike with my dog and I took a day to myself to just enjoy life, to think about what I want to do. And instead of conforming to everyone's expectations, just take my life into my own hands for even a day. And I've seen some of the most beautiful sights in my whole life by myself with my dog. And I'm happy about it. Like if people can just find a hobby that they actually enjoy, that passes the time and it makes it feel like hours or minutes or seconds, just, just roll with it. Like there's nothing wrong with that, whether it's drawing or dirt biking, unicycling, taking remote controls apart and putting them back together. Like it doesn't matter if you like it, fucking do it. Yeah. And then it becomes something that's so meaningful. So what's really interesting is when you're talking about this in between and how you did have some good moments and, or something that kind of you fell in love with that, that kind of got you through it. Mine's kind of silly, but you totally unlocked a memory for me. Mine was The Office. That is when I discovered the show, The Office. I'm actually wearing an office shirt right now. That show will always mean something to me because it was kind of like the, the friends, if you will, that I kind of leaned on that I had that that there was no judgment there was just like I could watch this and and kind of lose myself in it that was I think kind of my quote hobby that that really got me through but I mean the fact that you can say six years that is so amazing um and now you know you're married you have you're like almost I think you said your dream job and that's fucking fantastic so you know now that you're in this period of time in your life what is the advice that you would be able to give maybe somebody who has been in your situation and might be afraid to, to say something? If somebody is is in that situation, which I have no doubts in my mind that there's got to be at least one person listening to this, that this is going to help. Just if, if they have like a person that they know they can trust and look up to and talk to with zero judgment, that isn't going to steer them in the wrong direction, take 10 minutes to call them or talk to them face to face because... How do I explain this? It's better to try and to fail, as scary as it is, than to not try at all, especially with something like that, because who's... <sighs> Who's to say they try to put their foot down with their abuser and they go missing or something worse? If like if if nobody knows what's going on, nobody's ever gonna know. So tell someone that you trust and the absolute worst case scenario is they don't believe you and you cut ties with that person because they aren't fucking worth it. And you tell somebody else until you find someone that's gonna help you because you, you can't just give up. You can't just stop. You can't just... <sighs> You can't let people walk all over you. Yeah, that's so true. And that's such a good point. Like, don't be discouraged by that because speaking out is so much more important. And I think you even brought up a good point that I'd never even thought of. You're like, well, if they go missing, like no one's going to know. No one's going to be able to look for you. No one's going to be able to have any sort of idea. And even even just one person knowing, that's huge because that yep. could potentially save your life. And um, 
I think that speaks volumes. I think it's it's amazing. I, I'm just kind of some happier questions. When did you when did you meet your wife and and how have you been able to maintain kind of a healthy mindset with relationships now? My wife actually helped me out a lot with that. Um, when I when I met my wife, I was very untrusting and kind of like that stray dog that you meet on the beach in Mexico that you feed your French fries to that you're not too sure if it's going to bite the fries or your fingers. She she taught me a lot about just trusting myself and trusting the people around me and knowing knowing my worth more or less and saying, you know, if you're not going to meet my energy or if you're not going to accept me for who I am and understand that I mean things or if I don't mean it, you know, you're, you're not going to be worth my time. If you're not a positive part of my life, you don't have to be here, which uh, honestly, I have to I have to loop back to this last one before I forget it. Um, if anybody is in that situation and they've been told by their abuser you know like if you tell your parents or if you tell whoever I'll hurt you or wh whatever um, don't let that make you be scared of your abuser or of telling somebody because what they have to say and who they are at that point doesn't matter if it's a family member a close friend a teacher doctor whatever if if they're abusing you and you feel like you telling somebody is gonna make their life shitty don't worry about that part because their life should be fucking shitty in the first place. Whether it's they're going through something at home or they're getting drugged through the prison system. If somebody's abusing another person, regardless of age, sex, race, religious ideas, whatever. If somebody's abusing somebody else in that matter, fuck them. Throw them under the bus. But that's that's all I have to say about that. I just I, I didn't want to forget that. I think you're so right. And I think it's incredible that you've been able to come here and, and speak on this. And then hopefully you felt comfortable through through this whole thing. And hopefully maybe I made you laugh a little bit. But, <laughs> you know, I know it's, it's a little bit easier to talk about when it's just like kind of a, a regular conversation. And as far as healing goes, you know, I know that, you know, you've been healing for six years now. And what are some things that you've been able to do for yourself to heal? Maybe like therapy or things that you have found therapeutic? I I do go, I have, I've went to therapy for about a year. Um, it wasn't anything against the therapy. It was just my therapist and I didn't really quite see eye to eye. And I felt a little bit, not demeaned, but like almost disrespected because of a few choices that I make in my personal life. Like I smoke weed, I'll microdose mushrooms every now and then. There's, everyone's got their thing and their own little fixes. I'm not a big fan of prescription medications. So I try to do the the, her, the herbal way, I guess. Like, I mean, I'm not a fucking doctor, but I do what feels proper for myself and it, it feels okay. And I feel like as long as it's not crack or like anything wild like that, I, I should be okay. But um, yeah, the things that I find in life that I actually enjoy is like the typical cliche white girl shit. I'll, I'll ride my motorcycle around town listening to Taylor Swift and I'll, I'll see a pot of flowers on the side of the road and I'll pull my bike over and I'll lift my visor on my helmet and I'll stand there on downtown Main Street and just, that's nice flower. Or if I see the sunset starting to do golden hour for the next 20 minutes or so, I'll, I'll race to the side of a hill and find somewhere nice to just sit back and watch the sun go down. It's, it's, it's the little things in life that, you know, kind of matter to me. I like rocks too. That might be, that might be something up here, but I like rocks. Honestly, you're right. It, it, honestly, that's so cool. I love that you have kind of taken a moment to smell the roses, if you will. Take a moment to like kind of slow down and really like realize <laughs> and take in the moment. 
but I kind of want to go to really fast what you were saying about um, the things that you do to help yourself. And it's so funny because I'm from Oregon and that's where I'm from originally. Those things are not strange to me. Actually, and anybody that I have as a listener who's from Oregon, they know that ketamine treatments have been used there for therapeutic reasons. A lot of it, I, uh, of course, under professional care, but right. has helped them with their depression. And even just, I think a couple of years ago, shrooms was also approved to be able to be used in therapeutic um, settings because it has been proven that it does have some sort of effects and be able to help with things like PTSD and trauma. No, I, I don't think, I, again, I think it's just because I'm from Oregon and that's like a thing, but it is, it's becoming much more common. I, I do think it's pretty cool that that therapist didn't put like a such a bad taste in your mouth with therapy. I've definitely had therapists that I have not vibed with and who we've disagreed because one of them brought up her political views, which was fucking weird. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's, yeah you, it, get, it, it can get weird. It's just a matter of finding somebody who, who you do vibe with. And sometimes it's like shoes. You got to find the right one that fits. And I do have to ask, has this been helpful for you being able to share your story and knowing that you're being heard? Yeah. You know, honestly, I think just talking about it in general, whether it's it's in a therapy session or on a podcast as long as I can help somebody else or myself at the end of the day I'm, I'm just happy to to do it honestly but that's I, I just I want to help somebody anybody that I can yeah and I mean that's definitely the goal here so I'm really hoping that I know that this is going to help somebody even if it's just one person it, it's going to help somebody I am so grateful for your time for you been able to come on and, and again just being able to help empower you and help share your story um I, you, you were asking i think you're asking about how or when i met my wife um i met her about a week after i moved back down to medicine hat from edson when i was 22 no sorry 23 and i met her online took her on her first date and we haven't spent a day apart since that's awesome and and it sounds like she kind of came into your life right at the right time because it sounds like that was, you were still in your healing journey and, and she was really meant to be to kind of come in and, and help you through that and just be your person. And I think it does, whether it's a friend, a significant other, family member, there is going to be at least one person who will become your person. Absolutely. And those people do exist. It takes time to find those people, but they do exist. And I think that kind of goes back to what you were saying, where time heals everything. You will find your person out there. I promise you, I, I can't guarantee it's going to be a significant other, but you'll have a person absolutely and I, I keep telling her all the time we, we like to joke about conspiracy theory kind of stuff just because i mean I, i'm the typical white guy i listen to joe rogan on the right dirt bikes like i drink budweiser as, i'm as white as it can get and uh i like to tell her that she's my cia handler because That's hilarious the level of coincidence that we got together on is mind-blowing like we're yeah. wearing the same color clothes on our first date we no drink the drink we we like we we both are in the dead dad club like it's, there's so many similarities that there's no way she's not my person yeah definitely definitely and and that's i mean that's a lot of things that not everybody i mean not a lot of people can can connect with you on and that's crazy i could see how they definitely put in you <laughs> right but like, I, I hope they pay her good because motherfucker, I'm a handful. 
(laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. I love it. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for coming on and sharing your story. Again, you are welcome back anytime. Did you want to plug any social media? Um, Yeah, follow me if you want. I'm on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Um, My TikTok, Darn Hooligans. Super easy to remember just who I am as a person, a darn hooligan. Um, My YouTube is Darn Hooligans 762. And everywhere else, it's it's Darn Hooligans. If you want to find me, just look up Darn Hooligans. Yeah, and we'll definitely put all of that. Um, we'll link all of that as well on Instagram and, and anywhere that this is posted. So, cool. and you guys, if you want to share your story, please DM me on Instagram at XSNT underscore podcast. I, I'm here to listen. If you don't want to share, you can share as much or as little as you want. You don't even have to re- record an episode if you don't want to. I am just here to be ears to be heard. I know that when I was going through things, I, I really wish that there was something that I I had to to listen to or to relate to. Um, So if that's you, reach out on Instagram, but definitely follow me on Instagram at existent underscore podcast, same handle for TikTok, also for YouTube, which might seem kind of bare right now. I'm working on building those things up, I promise. But thanks everybody. And we'll see you guys in the next episode. Thank you so much again, Darian. We'll catch you next time. Thanks, Danny.